Hello everyone. Welcome to Voice of the Wild, a weekly podcast initiative by Naturalist Foundation. This is the 5th episode airing on 20th June 2020. With this podcast, we bring you closer to the world of wildlife conservation, scientific research and government environmental policies. I am Anushri Naik and along with me I have Hey, I am Janavi Jadha and I am Satyajit Patil. In the episode 5 We will first be talking about the unfortunate forest fires that happened in state of Assam due to carelessness of Oil India Limited which led to huge forest fires that going on still today. Moving on, we'll be talking on how government has still not learned from all these tragedies that keep happening in the country and are still giving permissions to build more and more industries near national parks. While talking about the environmental issues it is important to also talk about how they are affecting the biodiversity around us looking at the same we'll be talking about the effect of global warming on birds and even on the mangroves of the world further let's look at how nature has found a way to keep polluting effluents from harming the oceans to a certain extent with the help of an organism giant larvaceans also Let's talk about how the river Ganga has managed to free itself to a good extent in just a few months of lockdown which could not be done by Namami Gange camping in many years now which make us all learn that we do not need to spend money to clear nature but just to not polluting it as much as we are today Let's begin with the kind of environment disasters that are currently hitting our country and are going unreported by mainstream media. Many of us have come across some kind of message or post related to Assam gas leaks and fires. Today, I will be talking about some details and specifications about the disaster. On May 27th, a sudden and uncontrolled release of gas occurred from an oil well near Bakshan village in Assam in Oil India Limited's Bakshan oil field operated by John Energy Private Limited. The situation took a turn on June 9th when the well caught fire. With the site of the well just less than a kilometer from Debru Saikowa National Park and only 5 meters from the wetland Maguri Motapangbil which is an important bird area environmentalists and locals fear widespread damage to the area's ecology Well now that we know and we are aware about the situation that took place that close to an important national park and a biodiversity hotspot A question should occur to all of our minds about why was such a harmful oil plant established that close to an important protected area? How did it get environmental clearances when they had no proper planning for disaster management, which is also a part of environmental impact assessment as per their guideline? So, what exactly happened is that it occurred due to failing pressure systems in oil well. The company has not yet been able to ascertain what exactly sparked the blaze. Well, there were clearing operations going on at the site when the fire broke out, but a blaze is almost inevitable after a blowout with highly inflammable gas flowing uncontrollably in an area teeming with iron pipes and heavy machinery. All it requires is some friction. Let's take a look at the history of the area. In February 2020 a fire broke out in the same company which is Oil India Limited due to an oil pipeline blast which was allegedly placed in the river itself 
which led to a huge fire burning the life and entire ecosystem of the river the pipeline was built in such a fragile situation even after constant opposition from local people and other environmentalists even after such a huge fire that broke out because of their carelessness on the side of the industry last month oil india limited received environment clearance from the environment ministry to carry out drilling and testing of hydrocarbons in seven locations under the national park which led to the fire that has taken place this month not only that but a new notification was proposed by the environment ministry mentioning only 0 kilometers to 8.5 kilometers radius of eco sensitive buffer zone around the national park whereas generally the required area is about 10 kilometer radius this 10 kilometer radius usually acts like a shock absorber to protect the national park from an outside disasters now one thing that has to be noted is that a 0 kilometer radius is set up on the southern side of the national park which is exactly where oil india limited exists giving them full liberty to exploit resources that are close to a protected area without being legally charged so what is the impact of this disaster is that thousands of people and several villages were evacuated for almost 2 weeks the people living in bakshan and nearby villages have been facing the impact of the blowout an uncontrolled release of gas the impact of the fire was particularly severe on the residents of bakshan village located around 1 km from the site who were already living in a relief camp following the blowout on may 27th amidst ongoing covid-19 restrictions as well oil released a statement saying that the well caught fire while the clearing operation was at the site while the initial state reported no casualties on the morning of wednesday june 10 bodies of two firefighters both of whom were employees of oil were recovered from a pond near the site by national disaster response force ndrf earlier pictures of carcasses of a river dolphin and some dead fish in maguri mota pangbil which is adjacent to Debru Saikova National Park and about 1.5 kilometers from the incident site went viral on social media. Following this, the Assam Forest Department has issued a notice to the Oil India Limited on May 29 seeking details of the incident. The company informed an environmental impact assessment is in progress and a team from Assam Agriculture University in Jorhat has reached Dilaijan a field headquarters of OIL so what were the steps taken by the company well two staff of oil india limited have been suspended for allegedly uh, negligence of duty in this gas well blowout three experts from singaporean firm alert disaster control started are working at the site to stop the gas leak and said they were confident that the situation could be controlled and well could be kept safely to prevent the fire oil india limited had been maintaining a water umbrella by continuously spraying water over the area to safeguard the environment oil has engaged nabet that is national accreditation board of education and training accredited consultant to carry out environment impact assessment study 
in and around Tibru Saikowa National Park and Maguri Motapang Hill and the surrounding villages to assess the effect of the blowout on terrestrial and aquatic ecosystems and socio-economic impact assessment in consultation with the stakeholders and the job is in progress. Further, OIL has also engaged local fishermen with boat to identify oil spill, if any, in Maguri Motapang Bil, so that immediate remedial action may be taken up as required. OIL will pay Rs 30,000 as per immediate relief to each impacted family. Safety of the people and the surrounding has been considered utmost priority while controlling the well. But even after the claimed measures that OIL has been taking since the past 20 days, there hasn't been much progress in controlling the fires which are still on and have been greatly affecting the local biodiversity and property. Even after such huge disasters hitting our country amid the COVID-19 lockdown, the government and the industries have still not learned from past carelessness and mistakes. Important forests are being cut down and selected for clearance to develop more and more industries. Yes, I completely agree to what you say and that's exactly the kind of exploitation happening in Vedantangal Bird Sanctuary. Vedantangal Bird Sanctuary is a 30-hectare protected area located in Chengalpattu district in Tamil Nadu. This land was declared as a wildlife sanctuary in July 1998 by government under Wildlife Protection Act. This area is 5 km irrigation tank and its surroundings has been protected by local villagers since year 1790 as nitrogen and phosphorus rich bird droppings nourish the surrounding paddy fields and agricultural droppings. The large canopy trees inside Vedantangal tank makes ideal habitat of roosting and nesting sites for birds that visit the region during post-monsoon season from October to February. From July 1998 and until today, the Vedantangal tank, an area within 5 km of boundary, has been part of Wildlife Sanctuary with full protection of Wildlife Protection Act 1972. Under the order, the private and revenue land in the areas within 5 km of tank were also declared as sanctuary. The sanctuaries are also demarcated as core zone, buffer zone and eco-sensitive zone. So as in 5 km Vedantangal Wildlife Sanctuary and Lake, 0 km to 1 km was core zone, 1 km to 3 km is buffer zone and 3 km to 5 km as eco-sensitive zone. The core zone is to critical tiger habitat with sanctuary and reserves. Buffer zone is area around critical habitat and the eco-sensitive zone is land falling within 10 km boundaries of national park and sanctuary. On 38 May, Sun Pharma submitted an application to Tamil Nadu State Environment Impact Assessment Authority seeking permission to expand their company area. Sun Pharma company is located 0.72 km outside the sanctuary's boundary and 3.72 km from lake's boundary. Anyway, the Vedantangal sanctuary limits extend to 5 km from tank boundary and Sun Pharma's existing operation and proposed expansion will eventually fall within sanctuary. The company stated that forest department should redraw the boundaries of sanctuary from 5 km to 3 km 
so that the sun's company facilities will be just outside the redefined limits however for sanctuary to be denotified the proposal must be recommended by state board of wildlife and for which there should be agreement of national board of wildlife and only after which government of tamil nadu will have to issue an order denotifying the sanctuary under wildlife protection act on account of which many environmentalists started campaign through twitter platforms on 7 june sunday thousands of messages flooded social media including tweets such as vedan dangal is home and important breeding for 190 species of birds the villages don't even celebrate diwali to protect birds and many other tweets explaining the importance of biodiversity of sanctuary according to company declarations they will top up 176000 liters of water each day in a way a well managed sanctuary will be soon not merely for wildlife but also local communities whose members will enjoy benefits of greater water availability a healthier living environmental and economic benefits of tourism etc but a study and recent survey from experts says people from villages around sun pharma are dealing with severe water contamination and groundwater pollution the two water bodies into which sun pharma discharges its effluents overflow into vedantangal lake surroundings during monsoon this is the reason of degrading the quality of water knows by citing covid-19 as an excuse pharmaceutical companies set up new units or expand existing ones quickly until september 2020 by degrading the blooming wildlife existence the ever increasing industries lead to more exploitation these industries are responsible for increasing global warming effects which are now visible in environment and biodiversity these industries in protected areas will cause global warming and directly will affect biodiversity including avian flight and its wing size vani will further talk on effects of global warming on the same lot of new discoveries about birds have been made in the last few years and these discoveries have found a lot about the struggles faced by them for adapting to a warming world bird species across the world have been noted to shrink in size also there has been a great loss in population in the last few decades North American continent has lost around one fourth of its birds in the last fifty years. Asad Rehmani, former director of BNHS, said that about three billion birds since 1970 are missing, which indicates directly that there is a massive decline of biodiversity all over the world. Bird populations in U.S. and Canada declined by a one third since 1970. There were probably around 10 billion avians in the North American continent. of which only 7.2 billion birds remain today which is about 29% of the decline in the populations now the missing populations in the western states like us can be determined because of good monitoring system but in india even though it is quite evident that the populations have declined massively a proper number cannot be put forth as we do not have a proper monitoring data University of Michigan found that from 1978 to 2016 body size of around 52 species that were assessed has decreased. They concluded that the reason which led to the reduction in body size could be because of increasing temperatures based on previous studies. The wing length of Australian ring-necked parrot are linked to climate change as it is noted that 
limbs of animals in warmer climate tend to be longer. There has been a 4 to 5 millimeter increase in the wingspan of these parrots in the past 45 years, which may seem like a small change, but for the course of evolution, that much of a change in just 45 years is huge. Global warming may be one of the factors causing many birds to shrink in size while increasing their wingspan. Now the common question arises that how did people conclude that this is happening because of climate change and not any other reason. As the temperatures rise, the increase in the length of the wings can help these birds release excess heat and adapt better to the environment. And this could be the reason why these birds have had such a large change in wing size since the past 45 years. The biggest changes in the wing length of the birds has occurred since 1970 which is exactly the period that coincides with the temperature change and major deforestation carried out in Western Australia. However, scientists conclude that even small changes in temperature are going to make a big difference for many species. Now, as we all know, nature has an immense capability of adapting to climate change. But overall, climate change will definitely have a negative impact on most species. However, 30% of the breeding species are already declining and are in need of conservation action. The effect of climate change on the birds may be more severe in the near future unless we reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and protect the natural resources. Now let's talk about the kind of birds that are at most risk. Species that depend on elevated forest habitats, long-distance migration and coastal breeding are at higher risk from climate change. Some species are already facing clear and direct effects, but in general, most of the birds will be affected. Talking about forest birds, around 49% of breeding species are highly vulnerable to the composition of our forests, which will obviously change drastically if the climate warms. Moving on to long-distance migrants, around 66% of long-distance migrant species are highly vulnerable to climate change. The reason being that migratory species are unable to adjust their migratory schedules to coincide with the shifting peak abundance of their faraway feeding habitats. For example, if due to climate change, a particular species of tree reaches peak abundance of fruiting two or three weeks earlier, but the long-distance migrants that rely on the fruit cannot adjust to the early fruiting. Most of the fruits might end up being spoiled by the time the birds arrive, which would cause for these birds to find less food when they arrive. Now these coastal nesting birds, around 56% of the species are highly vulnerable because they are the most threatened by climate change due to their nesting areas. Rising in sea level will reduce nesting area available for coastal and salt marsh nesting birds. Due to climate change, as storms and cyclones are getting stronger, it will contribute to outwash the beaches and salt marshes, leading to flooding. This will further stress the coastal birds, leading to failed nesting. Further, most of the carbon emitted by humans ends up in the ocean, making the oceans more acidic, which means it is difficult for the crustaceans and other marine life to form shells. Birds that depend on those shellfish for food will also be affected. So now this leads to the question of how we can protect birds from climate change. There are two simple methods that can be applied to protect the birds. First is reducing the stressors. 
that already are present in the ecosystem. The wildlife around us faces a lot of challenges from number of different sources and many of these challenges increase due to climate change. Simple things that we can do is planting trees and plants in our private gardens that would attract insects and birds etc which would enhance the ecosystem as a whole. The second method being reducing greenhouse gas emissions which means to avoid the worst effects of climate change we need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Now rather than talking about national and international agreements we could rather look at the changes we could make on a personal level. Reduce your own carbon footprint for example by more local goods than exported goods buying electricity from renewable resources decreasing deforestation in your own area and planting native species of plants rather than commercially available ornamental plants these small actions could make a huge difference in the growth of an ecosystem now that we have seen the effects of global warming on avian flight and wing size we should be aware that it's not just the animals that are getting affected by global warming so before we talk about mangrove forests their importance and what is affecting its vegetation let's talk about some background information so let's first look at the amount of surface covered by water on earth itself well it's around 70% as we all know it and one may wonder that these undiscovered ecosystems are mainly lifeless the kind of oceanic life that we are mainly exposed to are either corals or mangroves which are not actually just forests with trees and life in general but a link between the whole oceanic ecosystems and ecosystems present in land these forests are made of trees that can tolerate tidal situations along with high salinity not just this but they also house a number of sea creatures like gangetic dolphins otters marsh crocodiles etc along with many breeding fishes not just that but a huge amount of land animals like bengal tigers jackals fishing cats etc are also found in these ecosystems it is also an amazing wintering ground for a huge population of migratory birds coming to the indian shore from all around the world the health and distribution of coral reefs are largely dependent on coastal mangrove forests which remove pollutants improve water quality provide nursery habitat that maintain fishery The dense root system of these mangrove forests hold the soil layers that would otherwise erode from the effect of coastal tides. Not only that, but the complex interconnection helps stabilize the coastal waters along with holding the whole ecosystem together. So now that we have spoken all about how important these forests are and how we need these for our survival, let's now talk about how these forests are perishing and what could be their fate after probably 30 years of the same amount of global warming and increase in sea level. So a recent study that took place in Monterey Bay in California stated on the basis of past studies that these mangrove forests were more capable of surviving in areas that experienced low change in sea levels. Let's go back to a few thousand years ago when the ice age just ended. The earth started continuously trying to get back to an equilibrium and the sea level started increasing at a great pace each year. Scientists found out that during this time the mangrove forests did not thrive very well. and the populations were dwindling the 
Mangrove population only came to a stability when the sea level stopped rising at such an exponential level and became more stable. Now with the increase in sea levels which is about 3% each year due to climate change and rising temperature the same trend of perishing mangrove population is seen. The rise in sea level could go up to around 6-7% to in the coming decades would be causing a near grave situation for these highly productive ecosystems. Now although it can be said that because of the increase in temperature the population of these mangroves are increasing in subtropical areas but due to the increase in sea levels there is an overall decrease in vegetation of these mangroves throughout the existing population. But now one may ask why the forests that are set to withstand huge amount of tidal changes along with salinity changes would not survive the rise in sea levels. So the basic explanation for that would be that in the past these trees were known to survive the increasing sea levels by moving inwards towards the coastal lands. But now because of the development taking place in these coastal regions because of human habitation the chances of these trees moving inwards by increasing vegetation is really low which causes a situation called as the coastal squeeze. Let's not talk about how the mangrove forests affect biodiversity and animal life in general because that has been spoken about since many years now. Let's come to an anthropological site and talk about how the presence or absence of these mangrove forests can affect human populations. We all are aware that the mangrove forests affect human life on the coast quite drastically where their livelihood if not life depends completely on these mangrove forests. People on the mangrove coast usually depend on fisheries and aquaculture which they directly and indirectly do in these areas. As mangroves form an ecosystem in itself, it acts like as an uh, amazing fishing ground for these coastal communities. Also by providing a great barrier for storm surges and cyclones, these mangroves play a very important role in protecting these local communities from being affected by these natural disasters. One can only imagine how much the absence of these important mangrove forests can affect the life of these coastal populations by the example of Cyclone Amphan that happened a few days back. Although it did affect a lot of biodiversity and local communities that lived in the Sundarbans, we cannot ignore the fact that it absorbed a lot of shock that Cyclone Amphan would otherwise produce which would end up taking the lives and livelihood of a lot of coastal communities. They were saved because of the presence of these large forests. Not only these coastal communities are affected by the absence of mangroves but also cities like Mumbai, Chennai, Kolkata, Surat etc. may face huge circumstances if these mangrove forests would start dwindling at a large pace. The effect of decreased mangrove population is already seen in major cities in the form of flooding and waterlogging along with soil erosion. We need to act quick on these situations and reduce emission of greenhouse gases and pollutants in the environment before it's too late to act for the protection of these fragile ecosystems. But it's not all bad news for nature 
As we all know that nature has its own way of survival which is quite evidently visible by the example of a larvation called Batocordius which is known to reduce the effect of effluence causing global warming. Vanishay will be explaining in detail about the larvations. The sea creature which is known as giant larvacean or Batocordius is nearly transparent and is actually a blue colored tadpole like animal surrounded by an enormous balloon of mucus which is about 3 feet wide. It has a body and a tail. Batocordius is considered as a giant among all larvaceans. The giant larvacean came into fame because of its huge mucus houses which it builds itself. That is the big mucus bubble that surrounds the larvacean. The house is made up of two filters which is basically used for a feeding apparatus. They eat tiny particles of dead and decaying material which includes plants and animals that float around in the water column. Here is how they eat. The outer filter traps larger particles that are too big for the animal to eat while the inner filter guides just the right size food particles into the larvacean's mouth. To feed, the larvacean beats its tail which pumps water through its house to keep those particles coming. Eventually, the filter gets clogged and the larvacean abandons them. The sinking houses are packed with food particles and it's a good source for the other animals that live much deeper into the oceans as food. Now, if it weren't for these larvaceans discarded houses, the animals like sea cucumbers would have not much to snack on. It's amazing how much the larvacean can tell us about the ocean's carbon cycle. The researchers eventually learned that these creatures and their snot palaces play a really important role in helping the ocean remove the planet-warming carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Usually, carbon particles that float through the ocean are eaten by other organisms and keeps floating and going around in the food chain. An increase in the ocean's absorbing and holding carbon compounds like carbon dioxide heats up the oceans and disrupts marine ecosystems, which leads to saturation and resulting in more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Now, the larvacean's mucus filter traps a significant amount of carbon during its constant water filtration, which goes through about 21 gallons an hour. Their food becomes fecal pellets of both organic and non-organic matter. Their feces rapidly sink to the bottom of the ocean, because of which the carbon particles are far away from the life that is present in the surface. Now, scientists have estimated that the giant larvaceans contribute up to one-third of the carbon transported to the deep sea floor. The total number of giant larvaceans in Monterey Bay could filter up to an equivalent of 500 Olympic-sized swimming pools per hour. The giant oceans are where these larvaceans reside and form amazing productive ecosystems. They not only are a huge part of the ecosystem, but also lower the climate warming effluence released by us humans. The huge positive role played by these organisms and many other such sea creatures help sustain the environment we thrive in. Many such sea creatures are under irreversible danger due to human activities like the Coastal Road Project. 
A marine biodiversity report has found that the coastal road project presents a direct threat to 36 intertidal marine species that thrive in the Worli shoreline. Dumping non-oceanic red mud during reclamation could potentially suffocate fragile species like sea slugs, crabs, octopus which are known to live in crevices and burrows of intertidal rocks. This is one of the most biodiverse shows in Mumbai. The scale of loss is unimaginable. The report also identifies that some of these species like mollusks, sea cucumbers, corals and sea fans are included in Wildlife Protection Act of 1972. The extent of damage beyond species destruction is unknown and requires scientific inquiry. Not just these larvaceans but a lot of filter feeding organisms and other sea creatures like phytoplanktons and seaweeds take up a huge role in maintaining the smooth functioning of the oceanic ecosystems. If studied and researched about the filter mechanism of such organisms they can be used by science to find solutions to climate change concerns that many environmentalists have been talking about since years now the mucus filters of larvaceans for example trap in carbon and microplastics and dump them deep into the oceanic waters away from near surface life making the oceanic waters more tolerable in terms of temperature and pollutants for the inhabitants which in turn helps maintain the stability of the entire ecosystem and indirectly humans too now that we have learned about these amazing sea creatures that are helping the ecosystems thrive let's look at how just few months of lockdown made huge change in the ecosystem of the ganges river which is a perfect example stating that we do not need crores of money to clean our natural ecosystems but just some guidelines and restrictions on pollution which in turn would help reverse the pollution and forest can survive and thrive on their own the ganga river which originates from the lap of himalayas it has been known for its purity for centuries the ganges river is a symbol of religious and spiritual faith for the country on 4th november 2008 the ganges was officially declared the national river of india but there is another side to this story due to human activities since last few years this holy river only got polluted and the situation now is that our national river has become one of the most polluted rivers in the country not only this it has become one of 10 most threatened river basins in the world according to study done by uttaranchal environment protection and pollution control board the ganges water has given a d grade according to which Water of Ganges is so polluted that it is not considered appropriate for bathing, drinking and even farming. In view of this matter, the government also launched several programs for cleaning the river Ganga. The main ones were the Ganga Action Plan of 1986 and the Namami Gange program. That is a conservation mission which the central government had signed with the budget of June 2014 program. But it is a matter of shock that even after such big program the water of ganges could not meet the limits of cleanliness this mission failed even after the budget of around 2000 crores but it was nothing short of miracle that a few months of lockdown did what the hard work and wealth of years failed to do and all this happened without any technical intervention or lack of technology 
according to Uttarakhand Environmental Protection and Pollution Board fecal coliforms in Haridwar have been decreased by 34% and the biochemical oxygen demand is decreased by 20% there has also been a significant improvement in the water quality of Ganges river in Uttar Pradesh according to Uttar Pradesh Pollution Control Board healthy water must have dissolved oxygen level of at least 7 mg per liter The dissolved oxygen level in Ganges River is 8.9 mg per liter while it is 8.3 mg per liter in effluent. This clearly shows that water quality has improved significantly and is suitable for bathing. Ganges has become much cleaner since the lockout in Kanpur too. The effect of lockdown on Ganges encourages and proves that taking more measures can improve water quality even further. in particular the health indicators of ganges have improved significantly with an increase in dissolved oxygen and a decrease in biochemical oxygen demand which is also known as bod bod level indicates the amount of organic matter in water low bod indicates good quality the lower dissolved oxygen indicates poor quality if oxygen levels decline aquatic life is severely affected there is also a decrease in fecal coliform observed this miracle that took place in first 3 weeks of lockdown exposed many government policies these policies held industries responsible for pollution and talked about their prohibition but hardly any policy would have encouraged these industries to bring new ways and solutions secondly when a river can clear itself and regain its original effect the use of several hundred million sewage treatment plant is a bit worthwhile one of the main reasons of failing policies like namami gange is that we do not understand how the population of fish and marine plants the banks livelihoods of people living nearby and their socio economic profile are all linked therefore whatever measures were taken they failed The truth is that the biggest drawback in this and similar programs is that we are ready to clean a river system that already works well and we keep polluting it with industrial waste sewage and plastic instead of protecting the rivers by preventing pollutants from entering them we are polluting them and at the same time we are deciding to continue cleaning the river now it is important to understand the rivers of india will not be so clean as soon as the lockdown opens and life starts taking normal form ganga and other rivers will be polluted again in such a situation it is necessary to analyze the situation and put least dirt in rivers it is also mandatory to understand the ecosystem of the rivers and take appropriate steps to maintain the existing quality of the rivers So we end today's episode here. We hope you enjoyed listening to us. If you really like this episode, please hit that like button and make sure to subscribe to stay updated. And don't forget to share this video. We'd really appreciate your humble support on Patreon. Link is down in the description. Stay tuned. We'll be back soon with new topics.